Hello everyone, this is Mitchie and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. So for today's episode that we're going to go into, this is the case of Junko Furuta, and I hope I pronounced her name correctly. I'm not very good with the pronunciation, but I am going to try. Um, This case is known to be one of the worst and most gruesome murder cases in history. I can agree with that. I mean, just the... Everything that I learned about this just shows how a justice system could fail somebody so horrifically and the unfortunate circumstance of it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, bad things will happen to anybody. Um, It's known commonly as either the girl in the concrete or more accurately the 44 days of hell and when I get into it you're going to see why they call it that. And for Japan, they labeled this as the worst juvenile crime in post-war Japan ever. So to start out, we will go at the very beginning of Junko's life. Um, She was born January 18, 1971 in Misato, Saitama, Japan. Uh, She lived with her parents and an older brother and a younger brother. Uh, She grew up in Takashucho, Misato City. Uh, within the Saitama prefecture and prior to her murder she was known to be an extremely bright and beautiful young girl. Um, She attended um, elementary school at Misato Municipal Takasu and um, middle school at Misato Municipal uh, Minami Junior High and during the time that she was kidnapped and murdered um, she was attending Yashio Minami High School and had been working part-time to save up money for a graduation trip because that was such a popular thing at the time and I think it still is popular for high school graduates to take a graduation trip before they either enter college or go out into the workforce. Um, despite um, being popular, being beautiful. She was still a very humble young girl. Um, Her family, they weren't extremely wealthy, so like I said, she did work part-time jobs to help her family in the long run. Um, She was also saving up because she had dreams to become an idol singer. And I think one of the reasons why she did want to become an idol was because she was compared to an idol of that time. Uh, Looks like her name was Mariko Kuruta. And I looked at the photos, and if you look at them yourselves, you can see that there is a little bit of a resemblance between the two. But not only was it because of her beauty, she was an extremely kind and caring person. She never had a harsh word for anyone. Uh, She would always try to be somebody's friend no matter what. Um, But even with all that fame, all that popularity that she had in school, she was still just a humble, smart individual who wanted to focus on her grades and creating a better life for herself. And at the time of this tragedy, Chuko was around 17 years old, preparing to start this new chapter in her life. But unfortunately, around the time of November of 1988, that's when things started to go extremely downhill. Because she had caught the eye of a school bully by the name of Hiroshi uh, Miyano. He was known to be a hothead with a major inferiority complex. Um, He would often brag about his connections to the Japanese gang, the Yakuza. And he was so used to getting whatever he wanted because of this um, so-called tie that he had with them. 
So when he would approach all these girls and stuff, they would always, like, fall at his feet, apparently. They wanted to be around him. I don't know if it was either out of fear or because of this bragging right that he was tied with this gang. So he thought when he was going to approach Junko and ask her out that, of course, she was going to agree to go out with him. However, that was not on her mind at all. She had things that she wanted to focus on, so she politely rejected him, saying that she just wanted to focus on, like, her schooling. She just didn't have time for this stuff, but she could have never predicted how horribly things could have gone from such an innocent rejection. Now, Hiroshi was known to have such a major issue with his problematic behavior. Uh, he did have a girlfriend at the time, but because of this behavior and all the issues he got into with theft, sex crimes, destruction of property, the girlfriend broke it off with him. And so once he was told no by Junko, he became so enraged and so angry that he decided that he just had to teach her a lesson. So with that in mind, he decided that he was going to gather up a couple of his friends, um, that were members of this Yakuza gang. Um, of course, you had Hiroshi himself, um, Joe Ogura, Shinji Minato, and Yashushi Watanabe. So his idea was they were going to get Junko cornered or catch her riding home and ambush her and make it look like Hiroshi was the savior who was coming to take care of her and get her home safely. So all this happened on the night of November 25th, 1988. Junko was heading home from work and looking forward to watching the season finale of one of her favorite shows on TV. So as she was riding home on her bike, out of nowhere, she gets knocked off of her bike and pretty much just thrown onto the ground. In, in all of this confusion and disorientation, um, she didn't realize what was going on, but Shinji had kicked her off of her bike to get her all confused and disoriented and then Hiroshi just walked up conveniently and was like oh I saw what happened are you okay here let me pick you up let me get you home safely and while Junko didn't necessarily trust him she didn't expect anything bad that would happen out of this she was hurt she just wanted to get home she had just worked this long shift all she wanted to do was just go home and watch her TV show so, he promised he would get her to her house safely, however, he did not take her home. He guided her to this abandoned warehouse, and when he got her there, he told her of these ties he had to the Yakuza, and proceeded to assault and rape her. And he did say that he would let her go, but that was just a straight-up lie. Um, she was afraid to try to escape because he threatened her family's life because he was able to get her address from like a book or something that she had on her at the time and said that if she didn't do what he said that he wanted her to do that he would get his ties and have her family taken out. So they drug her to the home of Shinji Minato and despite Shinji having parents and a brother that lived there they told this big lie to the parents that she was Shinji's girlfriend and the parents didn't think anything about it initially because they thought, oh, this is a nice girl. Our son, he's, he's had some trouble going on, so maybe this nice girl can turn him around and 
help him fix his ways. Like, it seemed like the family was so freaking terrified of Shinji and his horrible behavior that it was so out of control that he was too violent even for them to try to intervene. But of course, over the time that Junko is staying at the house, they soon come to realize that this is not the case. So the whole girlfriend act is going to drop pretty damn quick. But they're still not going to do anything. And a lot of it has to do with, one, that they were afraid of their own son. And two, reputation is a big thing in Asian culture. Especially like in Japan and Korea and all that. So they didn't want to have their reputation ruined, I'm sure, as shitty as that sounds. So, they took her up into a room in Shinji's house, and that is when the 44 days of hell began. There were a number of heinous acts that they would perform on her. They would rape and assault her. They would beat her, cut her, burn her with all sorts of objects that you can think of firecrackers, um, candles. They would invite other Yakuza members to come and assault her as well. It was um, at one point recorded that she was raped and assaulted by up to 12 people in one day. And these assaults, they would be so bad that she would bleed and it got to the point where she had bled so much that all of this blood kind of collected into her sinuses so she couldn't even breathe out of her nose. And yet, she was trying to endure all of this because she was afraid that her family was going to be targeted if she tried to escape. But with each day, the torture got progressively worse. And it was so bad that they would hang her from her wrist and use her like a punching bag. And each of the kidnappers, they would take turns punching on her and laughing about it. Uh, they would beat her with dumbbells, like I, and like I said, cut her with knives and scissors. They would take cigarettes and candles and burn her skin. Um, now, this is a little trigger warning, but if you don't want to listen to it, feel free to skip ahead a little bit. They would insert objects inside of her. Not just, like, in her mouth or anything like that. No, inside of her. Like... They would light fireworks or put heated light bulbs in and move them around until they shattered inside of her. So you can just imagine the pain that this poor girl was having to go through. And they would only give her the bare minimum of water or food. Now, initially, Shinji's brother was in charge of feeding her, but he had a job. So eventually those feedings became less and less until eventually... She would only be given milk, or she'd be forced to drink her own urine and forced to eat cockroaches. Yeah. Now, eventually, the torture would get to the point where they would throw the heavy weights onto her stomach, and as a result, she lost all function of her abdomen. So, whenever she would have to go to the bathroom, whether she had to pee or defecate, she would just relieve herself, like, all over herself because she had absolutely no control. And this would make these captors so angry that they would beat her even more. They would take um, sewing needles and pierce her chest and leave the needles within her chest. They would pour 
hot wax onto her eyes because she would close her eyes in fear and pain. Like, anything she did would just result in them trying to hurt her more. Now, during her captivity there, her family did become concerned because this was not like Junko to just up and disappear. So they went to the police station to try to file a missing persons report. And of course, word got back to Hiroshi and he was so angry about this that he grabbed Junko and he was like, you're gonna tell her, you're gonna tell your parents that you're fine, that you're just out somewhere, you ran away. So you call them now and you tell them that you're fine. So under this coercion, she did contact her parents and she said, you know, everything's fine. Don't worry about me, I'm okay. Just call off the search, like, I don't like this. Please call off the search. You're making everything more difficult than it needs to be. So, her parents, not knowing anything that was going on, of course, they called off the search. Um, now, the police, they did have a chance to save her. About 14 to 16 days into her captivity, with all of these Yakuza members that were coming in and out, all these people that were assaulting her, eventually word did start getting around within these members. And one of the members' brothers heard about this, and he was, I don't know if he just had some sort of issue with it, or he, he was not involved with this at all, and he just knew that it wasn't right. But he did go to the police, and he said, hey, they they've got this girl held captive and it sounds like she's not doing so well. Can you please go check on her? So the police do come to Shinji's parents' house and they knock on the door and they say, hey, we've gotten a report that there's a girl being held captive here. And the parents are like, what? No, no, there's no person here. Don't, there's no, nobody here. And, you know, Shinji and all the boys are down there. They're talking like, well, if you're concerned about it, you're more than welcome to come and check around the house uh, and we'll show you that there's no person that's here. So the police, you would think that they would take them up on that offer and that they would check this out to see if there was somebody, but they didn't. They just took the word of this family and these boys thinking maybe they assumed that because they were offering a tour of the house that they had nothing to hide. And yeah, I get I get that hindsight can be 2020, but you as a police officer or a detective or anybody in this field, they should know that just because somebody's offering you a tour around their house does not necessarily mean that they're innocent. They just were so cocky that they were not going to be caught doing this that they just did not care. So the police, they didn't bother to check. They said, okay, thank you for your time, and they left. And Junko, bless her heart, she was so beaten and so battered and bruised. She couldn't crawl to help. She couldn't yell for help. Like, she was in so much pain. It would take her just over an hour trying to crawl to get to the bathroom. I mean, her bones had been shattered. It was to the point where she couldn't really do anything for herself. Now, at one point, she did try to crawl to a phone, 
to get help because of how bad things were getting for her. But it took her so long to get to the phone that by the time she did, she dialed and got an officer to answer. The boys who had been out, they came back. And Hiroshi came up behind her, grabbed the phone from her, and told the officer on the phone, Oh, I'm so sorry. I just dialed you by mistake. Now, whether or not this happened before the initial report, I don't know. But the police had two opportunities, right there at least, to save her. And this is why I say this is such a bad case scenario of the system failing a victim when they should have been protecting her. So either way, whichever situation came first where it was reported or she tried to call for help, it angered Hiroshi. It pissed him off so much that he was going to beat her once again as punishment. So they would take her up and use any kind of tools that they had to beat her, whether it be the dumbbells or using their own fist, but the beatings got so bad and so many of her bones had been crushed and movement for her nearly impossible, even breathing was just about impossible from all the blood that was collecting in her sinuses that by day 20 alone she was begging for death but they wouldn't do that they would just beat and burn her more and it got to the point where her face was so swollen you couldn't tell who she was and she had all these burn scars over her second and third degree burns she had blisters that became infected because of the living conditions that they put her in that she just became physically unattractive to them and it disgusted them and it made them so mad even though they were the ones doing all of this to her they decided that she's she's fucking gross she's no longer attractive so we're just gonna go out and find another girl to assault and that's exactly what they did uh, they went out they found a 19 year old to gang rape and assault but keep in mind about this because that 19 year old does come back into the story because they let her go alive um, through all this from November 25th up until about January 4th of 1989 Junko endured multiple beatings multiple assaults it was said like over 400 times she had been assaulted by over 20 different men. So, even with all this, they decided that on January 4th, they were going to challenge her to a game of Mahjong. And despite the condition that she was in, she still managed to win the game and beat the boys. And once again, they were angry about it and pissed off. And the fury within them they beat her and poured lighter fluid on her body and set her on fire now she did try to put the fire out but it was just so bad and she was so weak that she ended up falling on top of this um i don't know if it was a cd player or a stereo or what it was but she fell on top of it and from the pain she started to convulse but they didn't stop they continued to kick her and beat her 
and eventually her wounds, the sores, they were opening up and oozing out pus and blood, and they were, like, disgusted by this. They were like, oh, gross, this is, this is nasty. But they put on plastic gloves and continued to beat her until they were just tired of it and bored. And then they just left her to lay there. And eventually, Junko did succumb to her injuries and pass away. Now, it was Shinji's brother, they said, that informed them that he believed that she was dead. And they came to check on her, and sure enough, she had no pulse. She was no longer alive. So now they start freaking out, because it's one thing for them to just kidnap her and beat her and assault her. I mean, she was still alive at that point, so they thought, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Thinking that they were going to get away with it. Thinking that um, she would somehow manage to survive all of this, all this hell where they had put her through, all these things being shoved up inside of her, her being hung and beaten like she's nothing. Like, they they clearly did not think at all, nor did they care. But now that she was dead, they knew because the body is there, if they don't get rid of her, they're going to be tied to this murder and they don't want to have to go to prison for the rest of their lives, or even worse, be put to death. So, this was surely a case where they would have been put to death, and that's what they were thinking. So, what they did, they wrapped her body up in a bunch of towels and blankets before placing her within a suitcase and taking her to put her into a 55-gallon drum and filling that drum with concrete. So after this, they found a concrete truck that would be delivering, and it had been sitting out there for a while, and they're like, oh, this is perfect. You know, we're just high school boys. They're not going to tie us to um, a concrete truck, so even if they do find her body, they won't tie it to us. It's perfectly fine. We got this in the bag. So they load her body up onto this thing, and they walk away, and they don't even give it a second thought. But it would only be about two weeks later before the authorities catch up with Joe and Hiroshi because, remember like I said, the 19-year-old. They left her alive after doing all of this. Well, she went and made a report. And so the authorities located these two boys and they were questioning them about the assault of the 19-year-old girl and also about a murder of a mother and son that they were possibly linked to. Hiroshi, being none the fucking wiser and being the idiot that he absolutely is, assumed that, oh shit, they know about Junko. So, he didn't put anything together, he didn't think, and thank God he didn't think in this part, because he assumed that Joe was going to already, already rat him out, so he was willing to throw his own boys under the damn bus to try to save his own skin. So, as a result, he was like, okay, well, I'll tell you everything. So he did. He told them where they could find Junko's body. So the authorities, they were surprised because they had no idea about this until Hiroshi told them. But they did. They go and they find her. They get her body out of the drum. And she had been so disfigured and had been so mangled up that they would have to use fingerprints to figure out who she was. Now it's rumored that um, 
when the authorities came and told Junko's family that they had discovered her body, that her mom was absolutely inconsolable and hysterical to the point that she became hospitalized. Now, I, like I said, I don't know if that's true or not. It's widely speculated that that had happened. But it's understandably so that she would act that way because her daughter had told her on the phone that she was fine and to stop the search. So I can't imagine the guilt that they must have felt when they found out that their daughter had been murdered. And, you know, after all of this, the family just wanted to have some privacy, I'm sure, because there's not a whole lot that people can find when they look up this case about the family afterwards. And you can't blame them because of how terrible this was. Um, so once they had gathered all of this information and they had found Junko's body, it wasn't long after until they arrested Shinji and Yasushi, Yakushi, or whoever, however the fuck you want to say his name. He doesn't even deserve to have his name freaking pronounced properly because of how awful this, this whole thing is. So they were also able to identify other people that were involved in the assault and murder of Junko because of semen that was found within her body. And this is when the prosecution and trial of these boys began. So in the start, the Japanese government, they did try to keep the identities of these boys sealed because at the time they were all considered minors. But, and this is one thing I love about journalism, the journalists were able to uncover the identities, and that's how we've got the names of them now. Now, of course, Shinji, uh, that's, that was not his initial name. I should have said that in the beginning. He had it changed, but even though they've had their names changed, um, these journalists were still able to find it, so I, I absolutely love and adore that, because when they initially unearthed their identities, they said, because of the cruel and inhumane nature of this crime... These boys do not deserve to have their rights protected because they did not care one bit about the rights of Junko. And absolutely, 100%, I agree with that. I don't think anybody should really, especially when there's so much evidence here that shows that they are truly guilty of it, they don't deserve to have their rights protected because if you're going to commit crimes like this and be so cruel and inhumane, you're not a human in my eye. So, they all pled guilty to committing bodily injury that resulted in Junko's death. They knew damn well that they couldn't have any sort of reasonable defense towards this. But even with this, I don't know if it's because they pled guilty or what it is, but I've seen so many problems when it comes to like sex crimes and murders against women that sometimes these sentences that are given to them no matter where it is in the world are lighter than what they should be but even with them pleading guilty three out of four of these boys still try to appeal their sentences now 
Hiroshi, he was initially given 17 years in prison, but he filed an appeal, and this, like, pissed off the judge. And I love how the judge was like, you know what, because you appealed, screw you. We're going to add three more years onto your sentence. We're going to give you 20 years in prison. And that made it, like, the second longest sentence that could that has ever been given in Japan, excuse me, before, you know, life imprisonment. Uh, when he served his time and got out, um, he was still going back and forth in between jail because he was having um, issues with committing fraud. So he was arrested once again after serving time going back in. Uh, currently, they say that he goes to fighting gyms because apparently that's the only place that he belongs and remains rather reclusive and probably due to all the nature of his name being out there. Shinji, he was given five to nine years due to all the appeals that he had filed. I think he had initially only had three or four. Um, when he was released, he uh, started doing like tie fighting or, or a tie something regarding like boxing, I think, but didn't have a whole lot of excess because people knew about his involvement in the murder. So anytime that he would go out, he would get booed constantly. And uh, it was still shown that he had a very aggressive side because once he was released as well, he attacked a 32-year-old man, beat him with a tire iron, and slashed his throat over some sort of altercation. Um, Yasushi, he originally had three to four years, but... Um, he tried to appeal, but he ended up getting five to seven. And now I couldn't find much about him, so I think he was the one that did not try to appeal. Like, he saw what he did and was, like, looking at these other boys trying to appeal and seeing all the shit that they were going through, and he was like, nope. So, yeah. Joe served eight years in prison, and he... Oh my god, this this dude. Uh, he was adopted when he got out by a supporter and took on the family name of Kamisaku. And he's been known to brag about his involvement in the murder. Like, he clearly feels no remorse for what he did. And it's also noted that his mother would go and vandalize Junko's grave and complain about how she ruined her son's life. So, not taking any kind of accountability and not saying, oh, my son did something bad, he needs to pay the price. Hell no, I'm going to enable my son and say that he's the innocent one in all of this and it was this girl that he murdered that ruined his life. Now, ironically, the parents and the brother of Shinji were never arrested or charged for any of the murders. I don't know why this is, because it seems like they would be just as guilty because they were harboring it and keeping it secret, but this was the 80s in Japan, so heaven only knows how they did this prosecution thing. Nobody knows. Um, and Junko's family, naturally, they're going to be upset by how light these sentences were. Um, however, they did get paid some sort of compensation. They won a civil lawsuit against Shinji's parents. Uh, Hiroshi's mother paid about 50 million yen, which I think from what I looked up was about the equivalent of 425,000 US dollars. Um, 
and that was court ordered and she had to pay that through the sale of her family home uh, Joe's family they tried to build up a savings or the father I should say because the mother clearly was an enabler of her son so he tried to build up this savings to pay restitution towards Juco's family but Joe being the piece of fucking shit that he is depleted all of that spending it simply on himself because he did not want Junko or Junko's family to have any kind of compensation from him because he felt no remorse for what he did. So at Junko's funeral uh, the uniform that she would have worn at her job they provided it to, uh, to the family and it was placed in her casket. Um, the school principal of her high school also awarded her posthumously with a diploma to give to the family. And another thing that I didn't realize until I started doing some more research into this is Junko, remember how we said that she was so excited to go home and watch the series, like the season finale of her favorite show? I think its name was Dragonfly. She had talked to the captors and said how upset she was that she didn't get to watch it. So, when they put her body in the concrete and tried to hide it, Hiroshi apparently had a copy of that final episode and put it in there with Junko. Now, some people might think, oh, did he feel bad about what he did? Did he feel some sort of remorse because he had a crush on her and, like, it came to him all of a sudden? No. That wasn't it at all. He said that he did that because he didn't want her to come back as an angry ghost and haunt him. So that's just... my gosh. Now, in the years after her murder, there have been about three books that have been written about her. Um, there was one exploitation film, and then there was another film called Concrete, I believe, made about her, and there was also a manga that was created inspired by the nature of the crime. Um, Japanese people consider this to be part of the American disease because of the violent nature of the crime, and um, I think there was a major call for reform as well in regards to her murder because this is something that could have easily have been prevented had people taken the proper steps and had paid attention and listen like Junko she was a beautiful girl and it was clear that this entire system had failed her but that is the case of Junko Furuta um, thank you guys for listening this was a very hard case to go into and I do apologize if there's anything that I had messed up or if there's something that I am missing. Um, as always I am open to any kind of corrections or constructive criticism. If you um, want to reach out, recommend a new episode for us to cover, you can reach us at our email at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com you can also reach us on Facebook and Instagram at Manic Manor Podcast. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to join our Patreon. Um, that's also under Manic Manor Podcast. 
uh, you'll get access to the shows early, and um, I'm considering starting up some additional stories if anybody would like to read those as well, but that is definitely not necessary. But thank you guys for listening to this episode. It's a heavy one, and it's going to take a little while to recuperate from this because, my lord, it's such a heartbreaking case. So, let's do everything we can not to let Junko be forgotten, because it seems like in Japan there's not a whole lot brought up about her. I don't know if why that is or if that's true, but it seems like a lot of people talk about how she's not wildly remembered. So let's do our best to remember and honor her memory, because it's not fair that her life got cut short and these bastards that took her life get to live free. So until our next episode, guys, I hope you have a good week. Hope you guys stay safe. And we'll see you in the next episode.